0: it's good to be back. It's great to be back. We yep. are back in Circe's Champagne Bar. We've had, what, three weeks off? Yeah, it feels like it's been a holiday. We've done some different stuff. <laughs> we've Weather's had, changed. Yeah, we've just basically tried to get out of making the podcast for three weeks, or any way possible. But we're back, and this is the the first episode of the...
1: The new dawn, the new series. The, the dark, dark side, side of, of
0: innovation. Of innovation, yeah. yeah. So, we are going to be looking at such uh, subjects as
1: today is going to be torture. Uh, but in the future, you know, we'll what? be looking at some some crackers. Conspiracy could be an
0: interesting one. Spying, intelligence, assassination. But a, a bit of maybe depression. Maybe a bit of terror. Maybe a bit of war. And the truly darkest Ooh, one of all. Don't you going to go, gonna that go the... there? You say it. Advertising.
1: Oh, the evil <laughs> marketing, the heart of darkness. Yeah.
0: Today, we are going to be talking about torture.
1: We are, it's a uh fascinating subject, and one that reminds me of a, a family story, actually, Tom.
0: Family story? Yeah.
1: So my grandparents were based in Malaya during the Second World War, and they met loads of interesting people. Among them were the Campbells, and I went round to the Campbells' house after they were all back and lived in Motherwell in Scotland, and I had gaspacho soup for the first time, and I commented on the fact that they didn't have any like, electrical goods in their house, and the reason they didn't was because they didn't want to buy anything that was like you know Japanese or Far east because they'd both been in a concentration camp Ooh. and he had been subjected to the worst form of torture, mock execution okay. um He'd actually been forced to dig his own grave oh, yeah, and then yeah. they were liberated at three o'clock in the morning
0: oh. he was what the,
1: The next morning, so he dug his grave, went to bed, and at 3 a.m., before he was gonna be shot and put in a a hole, the Americans liberated the the Japanese prisoner of war camp. So he, and they were using these mock executions and just general abuse in order to keep people in line and and kind of keep them on a a fine line of torture. What's the relevance of the gazpacho soup? because they couldn't heat it up in the microwave, (laughs) I don't know, it's just where I had gazpacho soup. Brilliantly, he was the carpenter. And she was the nurse in the concentration camp. And they kept, the Japanese kept the men and women apart. And the way that they got together was when somebody died, when you got to the end of the medical tent and you died, then you needed the nurse would hand over to the carpenter. So they got talking and they managed to orchestrate um, men, wives and husbands to put the bins out together at the same time so they could snatch a couple of minutes together. So they would they would get these groups together. And then after the war, these two, the nurse and the carpenter, they got married We went back
0: to Scotland and refused to have any
1: Japanese products whatsoever.
0: I can't believe you managed to somehow wedge in romanticism into the torture episode within two minutes. I've got a personal story. Uh, I I got in a taxi uh, from Paddington yesterday and I said, excuse me, can you turn the music down? And the guy said, did I pick you up on Saturday (laughs) night? And I was out, I bit of a big one on Saturday night with some mates. And I was like... Uh, what Oxford yeah. Circus, what 3 a.m.? He's like, Yeah, I was like, Oh, god, I'm really, I'm really sorry. I don't know what I said. What was I talking about? He said, But you wouldn't let me get over a word in because you're just banging on about torture. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got a yeah, I got the uh, podcast chat out at 3 a.m. about torture. You know, um, you know what he'd
1: be saying next to be like, Oh, you know, I had that Tom Wollerton in the back of my car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you you the car.
0: Shut up Robert. about torture. <laughs> oh, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> Looking back at the, the history of torture, I've, I think the most amusing one I found was uh, the shame flute, which was uh, give, it was like a really heavy, like sort of saxophone type thing that a bad musician was forced to wear okay. around their neck as a, right, as a torture yeah. for being rubbish at music. Was the shame flute, <laughs> um, and well, I'm not going to go into all of these, but some of the sort of, that medieval was a real period of innovation. It was really pretty much an art form. So the thumb screw, you can imagine what that is. The head crusher, yeah. like a bit of a vice saw torture which is basically hanging someone upside down and then sawing them in half from the genitals downwards, Uh, the knee splitter, the breast ripper, the catherine wheel so this is a wheel that you would stick someone on uh, about six foot in the air and spin them round while people would whack them with sticks but then the catherine wheel obviously from firework fame as well so when you see the catherine wheel on, on November the 5th then that was originally a torture instrument but then this is my the worst one, well, I think, was the pair of anguish. So it was essentially it was a pair-shaped thing that would separate in, in four different directions and it would go into different orifices. So if homosexuality went into a certain orifice, adulterers, um, if it was uh, a female adulterer, that would go into a different orifice. Yep. But then if it was a... A blasphemer, it would go into the mouth of the blasphemer, okay. and then there would be a, a winch on the back of it, which they would twist round, and it would just gradually open up until their like, face ripped apart. But the worst bit of it is, is they were all like beautifully and ornately designed with like pictures on them and like letters and stuff. So, a real dark time. But uh, the uh, one of my favourite ones was um, uh, in the prisons in the 1800s were like really terrible places. You know, they were just the darks of the dark, and like Charles Dickens and the, um, the other people, significant people campaigned to have it improved. Yeah. So one of the improvements was this thing called a treadmill, which was basically like a really long, huge rolling pin <clears throat> with things that you could stand on. So you you were a bit like stood on the outside of this thing, constantly turning it. And so you get mm. tens of prisoners doing this, and this would power like grinding grain or yeah. powering a mill, and hence the name treadmill. Uh, massively, it was in fifty prisons in the UK. Went across to the states, um, and helped rebuild the economy. But prisoners were on that for six hours a day, just caught, like on. Apparently, it was the monotony that was I the can worst imagine, thing. Yeah. Um, but th- then there was a patent was filed in like 1915, and that turned into the treadmill that we know as the the, the fitness and the running fitness thing. thing. Fascinating story.
1: Um, that yeah. sounds awful. Six hours a day on a on a treadmill um well it's been torture's been around for so long uh, used to inflict pain and extract information one i stumbled on was a greek torture machine that okay. also kind of doubled as a musical instrument so um, uh, Phalaris was the, the despot of uh, of what, what is now Sicily and he was famous for his callousness uh, and apparently he reputedly uh, devoured suckling uh, infants. Well, he he asked a master craftsman called uh, Perilus to construct a, a bronze bull for execution of criminals and Perilus went away and he came back with the plans that were um, uh, designed to open a trapdoor at the bottom of this huge brass bull and in it would be put the uh, person who was going to be subject to torture then a f- the, the trapdoor would be closed a fire lit underneath and uh, as it heated up and the person became uh, very hot and in loads of agony it would start to scream and little tubes were uh, left open from the kind of the bull 's belly up to its nose, so that the the sound the, the, the screams and the sound of burning flesh would, would come out of the the bull 's nostrils and, and entertain everybody musically, so a pretty sick contraption and uh, Perilus thought he'd, he'd come up with something brilliant here, um, but Phalaris, the guy who'd briefed him, was so disgusted with his, his <laughs> this file contraption, I think actually he was a little bit jealous that the master okay. craftsman had been uh, even more callous than him, and so uh, Perilus was put in the bull. Uh, he, he was put inside oh, his own contraption, heated up, he didn't actually die in there, they pulled him out at the last minute and then threw him off a cliff.
0: It's an interesting thing about this, right? we have a bit of a laugh, and it's almost acceptable, but it isn't completely acceptable to have a laugh about these uh, horrendous tortures from hundreds of years ago, and there's this theory that tragedy plus time equals comedy, so there's some things, if something happened in the last year, or ten years, or even a hundred years, it it doesn't feel right to laugh about it, that's what a lot of comedians do, but um, the, the, well, my point is that this isn't something we should really be like, laughing about, you know, because it is quite a serious business. Yeah. Really quite a serious business, horrendously serious business, as we'll discuss.
1: Yeah, it is. And if you take a look at Google's Ngram viewer and you do a search for kind of human rights and, and torture and their references through books in the last, since since 1800, you see that actually, um, on the whole, torture's, you know, been on the demise. Um uh, however, that we are in a kind of period as a sharpest increase since the kind of like early eighteen hundreds. So a lot of people think of torture as kind of yesterday's problem, but it very, remains very much a, a current concern. And the big there's a big question about uh, what to do with it uh, still. And legally, there is a, an al- a kind of alternative to torture, which is cruel, degrading, and inhuman treatment. And actually, international human rights recognises both of these as torture. <music>
0: One of the things that I find when I was researching this was what drives these violent tendencies. And if you think about torture, if you think about the actual act itself, you know, someone torturing another person on a very small scale, it's it's just a horrendous thing. But there are many reasons why we would do that. You know, Why would someone do something to someone else that's so obviously wrong? And there was an interesting experiment by Annika Buffone and Michael Poulin. Uh, they got two students to read at two different letters. The letters were identical apart from a passage where they were talking about money worries, and in the letter it said, I've, um, I'm really short of money and I'm really distressed and it's really upset me. And in the other letter it said, I'm really short of money, but I'll, I'll find a way, I'll be okay. And then the same students were given a different exercise to do around pain, and they were asked, to administer hot chilies to a competitor in a completely different experiment. And the and the students who had been exposed to the letter about distress administered far more chilies to their adversary. And so what it does is it drives a relationship between empathy and violence. Um, and what they did before the study was to test for specific genes but um, and, and these are the genes that we've discussed before um, vasopressin and oxytocin that are implicated with compassion helping and empathy but the greater prominence of these genes in t- subjects gave them a higher propensity towards violence and so and one, the more empathetic you are the more viol- more violent you're likely to be and this is often used by governments and propaganda where they would say oh like you know a certain regime is you know has, using rape as a weapon or child abuse or and that that appeals to our empathy which lets uh, lets us forgive ourselves for uh, being aggressive towards someone else so at a deep psychological level there's a strong link between actual actually kindness and violence and torture
1: yeah it makes it makes sense doesn't it um and it's interesting that you the more empathetic you are it, to to about one situation you can be less empathetic effectively in another one and we've seen that with oxytocin too so um people in tests who are given shots of oxytocin are more uh, generous to strangers at the same time they show signs of like greater aggression in that area as well so it oxytocin empathy there's um a double edged kind of double edged sword so um in terms of uh you know legally um torture is uh, inflicting pain or suffering ment- mental or physical on on others and everybody kind of knows that just inherently that torture is wrong um, but it is arguably the the most wrong that we can do um, you know international human rights the Geneva Convention that protects you know soldiers in times of war both of these outlaw um, torture and it's prohib- prohibition is is absolute there are no exceptions. Uh, and and yet all of the countries who are, uh, uh, you know, many of the countries who have signed up to Geneva Convention, International Human Rights, you know, claim that they don't torture and, and yet they do. And the way that they can get around that is through kind of legal obfuscation.
0: So another thing to look at when it comes to torture is, is the philosophy that surrounds it. There's a really interesting podcast called Philosophy Bites, which takes sort of big philosophical top subjects and kind of breaks them down with experts. Uh, And they had a whole episode of torture that I found fascinating. So I've just got a couple of philosophical models that I want to get your opinion on. So a terrorist has planted a bomb that's going to kill thousands of people. And you capture one of the terrorists in that group who knows where the bomb is. And the bomb's going to go off in an hour's time. Is it right at that point to torture them? Is it justifiable to torture one person to save the lives of thousands?
1: Well, that's a tough question. And if you if you if you were in that <laughs> yes. situation, and it was your kids, you'd probably say yes. But well, the, the question is, how how far does that go? Because you can you can go down the line to torturing people who might know people
0: who might know where the bomb is. So that's an interesting point about your kids. I and mean, the other model is: so your twin daughters get kidnapped, and you capture one of the kidnappers. Is it acceptable for you to torture that kidnapper to get your kids back? And you know, my react, my initial reaction to that is obviously yes. And what, but I'm not even a dad so. yeah I mean
1: I mean who knows I think it's well firstly it's impossible would as you, a get, the, would, it's would you impossible get the pair of anguish no? a, the pair of anguish get a couple of them out <laughs> well. so there'll be two pairs two pairs of anguish
0: there was a, a really interesting experiment I'm very sort of philosophical and theoretical today, aren't I? Um, the Stanford Prison Experiment uh, was in 1971 by Professor Philip Zimbardo. I read about this in John Ronson's book, So been Publicly Shamed, which is, is really interesting. And basically what Zimbardo did was create a fake prison under his house and yeah. got students to enroll to be either captors or prisoners, so you could choose which one you wanted to be, and then they were in there. I think for a few weeks, and it was just. Am- and they videoed the whole thing. Yeah. Stanford videoed the whole thing, and they knew they were being watched. They said, "Well, just go and act out how you think they should act out." And so, as you might expect, the guards took on the role of the the aggressor, and then it, actually there was some psychological torture went on. There was this, this kind of classic scene where the uh, one of the guards told one of the prisoners to try and sort of have sex with the, the floor essentially yeah. like I'm not going to go into the specific language and then uh, John Ronson actually uh, tracked this guy down and said you know like he trying to work out this guy who was like a weirdo or a psycho and he said look what I was just trying to do was just trying to please the guy who ran the experiment He's, yeah. he, he wanted me to play the part of a guard so I played the part of a guard and so if he was prepared to do that in a kind of fictional environment mm. what if you replaced that Professor with, like a dictator or a tyrannical leader, then torture, in my view, is unacceptable. But it's understandable that people do it when you start to look at the environmental and psychological factors that drive human behavior.
1: Yeah, you know, a fascinating study, and you know, sometimes it doesn't require all that much um, effort or persuasion. To get people to slip into what is behaviour that we've been doing for you know thousands of years, especially because uh, modern pop culture suggests that like torture works. We see all these shows on TV and in movies that you know if you need to get a piece of information out of somebody, then you're going to torture them because that it works.
0: So I think we should leave it there for the first part of this episode. Yep, and we'll be posting the second half of this episode on torture in a couple of days. We'll catch up with you then.